some other folks come in and it's good to see you guys I'm glad you're here we are believing for a great move of the Lord tonight uh, we've been so excited just uh, anticipating this and uh, it's just going to be a great time in the Lord tonight uh, ask the Lord right now even during announcements Lord prepare my heart to receive all that you have for me and he will not let you down I can promise you that um, if you've maybe never been here before I just want to to let you know there are restrooms uh, right out these doors my left your right and there's a water fountain well not a water fountain a water cooler water fountains are bad now right? a water cooler uh, but if you need anything you can just see our ushers and they will help you out they'll see to it uh, I do want to make mention um, Paris had left some cards out there, and maybe you are a rising senior, maybe you've graduated, maybe you're a senior citizen. <laughs> It doesn't matter. It's for anybody. But if you would like to check out uh, JSBC, they have these nice uh, cards here. They have a QR code uh, right here on the back, and all you have to do is scan it, and it will take you directly to um, the school website and uh, let you know all that um, the school offers, all that it entails, right? Am I announcing this correctly? I forgot to ask you, and I didn't even, I didn't even read the card. <laughs> I'm just guessing, uh, but get the card. I'm guessing good, okay. Uh, but get the card, prove me wrong, <laughs> and, uh, and you will be blessed. Um, we know that um, the Lord has anointed this Bible college to uh, teach and uh, equip uh, people to teach the message of the cross. And so if you know anybody, maybe you have a family member um, that's a senior in high school or just recently graduated, take one of these cards and send it to them. Uh, it'll be the best decision uh, they've ever made is to go. Just take a year 
two years, whatever, uh, and go and just be fed and, uh, and get a good foundation on the message of the cross. Um, so I think that's it. Uh, I don't want to take much time because I'm just excited about what the Lord is going to do tonight. Amen. Uh, we have been praying, we have been believing, and now the Lord is going to have his way. Amen. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. I thank you that tonight I'm gathered together with like-minded believers, Lord. We've come expecting, Lord. And we know, God, that you will not fail us. You will not let us down. But Lord, right now, God, we just lay aside every distraction, every hindrance, Lord. We know your Holy Spirit is here, and we just open ourselves up to you, Lord, tonight, that you would come, that you would move, that there would be freedom and liberty in the house tonight, Lord, to just experience you, Lord. Oh, Jesus, that you would just pour into us tonight, Lord, so that we can leave and go out and pour out into this lost and dying world, Lord. Anoint our, our minds, our ears, our hearts to receive, Lord, all that you have for us tonight, God. We give you praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.
Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is 
singing the song the Lord just brought to my spirit and I want to tell you what he brought to my spirit to tell you you don't have to stay miserable because he is that good and some people find themselves in a miserable place and you've done well at hiding it but tonight's the night that you walk out of this place truly walking and experiencing victory in your life. I don't know what you came expecting, but I came expecting Him to move and have His way. 
I'm believing for more souls to come to know Christ as their Savior, for, for lives to be changed, for sicknesses to be healed, for those tormented to be set free, for those that have suffered uh, just, just unimaginable things in their lives, to walk out of this place in liberty and freedom and worshiping Him in spirit and truth. You don't have to hide because you cannot hide from Him. He's here to set you free tonight. Tonight we're going to receive an offering for Paris and Mary, but they didn't ask for anything. And I want to tell you, every single penny goes to them to bless them. Uh, they come up here and, and uh, we are being blessed by them, but we want to in turn bless them because uh, the Lord has a call and no doubt about it on their lives. I met Paris uh, on the second floor right before a workshop many years ago. And uh, we instantly connected through baseball. But more than that, the, through the Word of God and the change that has taken place in your life and my life. And He's still working on us. But I want you to give tonight and, and bless them. And uh, after offering, we will... Uh, he'll, he'll come and preach the house down. <laughs> Thank you, singers. Thank you, musicians. You know, I love coming here. <laughs> I absolutely love coming here. When they started to sing that there's an army that's rising up, I felt that in my soul. I feel it in my spirit right now. There are many of you in here, and some of you, well, many of you in here who are right now a part of that army. Some of you in here, you're going to become a part of that army. Breaking every chain. I hear it. I hear it. I genuinely hear it. You know, there are times as I pray and as I seek the Lord, it's almost as if though you can hear the cry of the lost. You can feel their pain. You can because I remember where I was. I remember what I was doing. I remember how I felt. I remember the uh, psychology of my mind as I was living in misery and depression and anxiety and fear and without God, and then in a moment, in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, He saved me and changed me and made me something brand new. <laughs> Genuinely, every single chain can fall <laughs> in the name of Jesus. I feel it. There is an army. There is an army. There is an army. There is an army. There's an army rising up in Denver, North Carolina. There's an army rising up all over this state. People you've never met. People you do not know. They're a part of that army. There's an army rising up all over the United States of America. doesn't matter what it looks like in America today. It doesn't matter what it feels like in America today. There's an army rising up. David Wilkerson prophesied in 
1973, he said that there was going to be a great falling away of the church. And there would be a great false church that would rise up. He said, but at the same time, there would be a small faithful remnant that was rising up. Not in political fervor, but in supernatural power. Hallelujah. I feel that power in this room tonight. I feel that power in my soul tonight. Do you feel that power tonight? Some of you in here, you've been trying to run, you've been trying to hide, you've been trying to dodge it. But man, if you, if you stay around the banks of that river long enough, eventually you're just going to slide right in. And let me just encourage you, forget the slide, jump. Plunge into that river. Because you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. Mm, 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 mm. There's a liberty in this place. There's a freedom in this house. It's the presence of God. Romans chapter 12, you can go ahead and begin turning. And as, I, as you're turning there, uh, turn and listen at the same time. Can you multitask tonight? Summer did a good job, but I'm going to follow her up. We do have a card here um, for the Bible College. And I, man, I'm glad to see Grayson. Grayson Queen, great brother, Bible co- former Bible College student. Miss Ford was a Bible College student too for a short period. Bible College student. Where's Noah? He's slipped out. But he was a former Bible college student. Bible college students right there. Terrence and Melissa. Got Bible college students everywhere. And I think that anybody would tell you the truth. You'll never leave there the same. When I showed up in 2014, I just thought that I was coming to get an education and I would go back to Virginia. I'm originally from southern Virginia. Not too far from you guys. Um... And help some church somewhere, help a pastor, pastor a church. I never imagined that in showing up there within three years, I would be teaching a night class at the Bible College. Uh, And Mary Beth and I have um, taken over as, uh, officially, in January 1st, we took over as the youth pastors of Crossfire Youth Ministries. And um, I could not have told you that those things are going to happen in my life. And we're going to talk about... Just one step of obedience. One single step of obedience and your life will change forever. And I promise you that when it's with the Lord, it's good forever. It's good forever. So I want you to check this out. You don't have to make a... Grabbing a card isn't making a commitment. Okay, so grab a card on your way out. Some of you um, who are here, you have children, you have grandchildren who are getting ready to go to college. You know, I think one of the things that is... um, it really needs to be talked about is that each semester is $3,000. $3,000 a semester. Ridiculous as it regards tuition across this nation. So instead of them going to spend a couple, a couple um, well, like ten to fifteen dollars to $20,000 a semester and not have any idea what it is they really want to do with their lives, let them come down to Bible college where they will be in the presence of God and he'll tell them what to do with their lives and for an inexpensive cost. So again, I just want to encourage you to check that out and uh, I promise you that you'll be blessed. There's one thing that's unique about that this. But when we were students there, we were fellow students for a short time. Um, there were times where I would just be in my dorm room. We weren't, it wasn't a chapel, it wasn't the classroom, it was just in my dorm room. And the Spirit of God would begin to move on me just by myself. And I'd begin to cry out to God just alone, just sitting there crying out to God. I wasn't 
doing, I wasn't reading the Bible, wasn't reading a copy, wasn't, wasn't studying, doing anything like that. Just the Spirit of God would begin to move. And man, the Lord would begin to deal with my heart about something. And I'd get real excited about it, want to go tell the other guys about what God was dealing with me about. I would get up and I'd start to walk down the hallway and I would get to Asher Weber's room. And I'd hear him crying out to God. And I'd walk a little bit further and I'd get to Ross Kibido's room. And I'd hear him crying out to God. And I'd walk a little bit further. I'd get to Mike Thomas's room. And I would hear him crying out to God. As the Spirit of God was moving on that floor in hearts and lives. And we would hear the same testimonies from the girls' floor. My wife was a Bible college student. Hey, I found something real good at Bible college. <laughs> uh, they don't call it World Evangelism Bridal College or Jimmy Swaggart Bridal College for nothing. So, Anyway... Um, Check it out. I promise you, you'll never, you, would ne- you would not show up and leave the same. You will feel the presence of God in the chapel rooms, in the classrooms. My roommate baptized with the Holy Spirit in a class. God has freedom to move there. And I uh, just want to encourage you again to check that out. Um, and again, if you've just got children and grandchildren, grab them a card. You never know what the Lord can do. You never know what the Lord can do. I want to say hey to Fallon. Fallon... Fallon, uh, she's from Baton Rouge, believe it or not, and um, she helped Mary Beth and I and Maddie McCormick and a lot of us, um, she was our faculty advisor at LSU so that we could go into LSU and start a club to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, we thank you, Fallon, and and, um, it's great to see you tonight. She lives in Charlotte now, so y'all have got a good one here. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of the Lord, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I'm going to read that again. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And if you were to read that in a different translation, it would read, uh, in the NASB, I believe it says, that is your spiritual worship. This is true worship. You know, I'm thankful for what we've experienced as we've come in here tonight. We've lifted our hands. We've sang songs to God. We've given Him glory as the Psalms teach us to do. And as, uh, as um, other writers even would write hymns into their Gospels and to their letters, they sang in the early church. They worshiped God with their mouths. I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we can come in and cry as we experience the presence of God, that we're emo- emotionally stirred and moved. As we experience the presence of God, sometimes God will touch you and you'll run. Sometimes God will touch you and you'll fall flat on your face and cry out to Him and ask Him to forgive you. God touches us in different ways, but I'm thankful for every way that He does. But true worship. I'm talking about true worship. We can come here and have emotional responses and emotional reactions and not actually be worshiping God. He's asking us to give to Him everything tonight give him everything so i want to preach a message quickly entitled worship worthy of a king worship worthy of a king heavenly father we love you tonight we give you glory we give you honor we worship you jesus i want to thank you lord tonight for your precious blood lord your spirit that we have sensed and that we have felt as you've moved in this house lord i believe that there are chains that are going to fall in this house tonight Chains that have been binding youth. Chains that have been binding the middle age. Chains that have been binding...
distracting the young adults, Lord, even the elderly. Chains, Lord. Chains of, of health issues, Lord. Chains of sin. Chains of wrong thinking. Lord, chains. And I believe they're going to fall tonight in the name of Jesus. I believe they're already falling tonight in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I just ask You that You would move with power, Lord, and that You would move in Your glory and Your splendor. I pray tonight, Lord, for every single person under the sound of my voice, Lord, to have a revelation of Your Son, Jesus Christ, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would know Him, Lord, that we would see Him in clarity, with clarity and with thought. Lord, that You would anoint me and help me to speak tonight, Lord. I must have Your Spirit. Without Your Spirit, there's nothing to offer a soul. But by Your Spirit, Lord, we have eternity to offer. And Lord, I just ask that You'd have Your way in this place tonight. We give You glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. And Amen. I didn't think I'd ever hear of a preacher named Paris uh, other than myself. And sure enough, there is. There's a guy by the name of Paris Reedhead. And uh, he was a preacher a couple decades ago. And this was a man of God. And I think if some of you Bible college students have heard, uh, we, we used to sit around and listen to this sermon jam, and Paris Reedhead was right in the middle of it. And I had no idea who it was, but he was right in the middle of it. And he preaches a, a, a message entitled Ten Shackles in a Shirt. If you feel called into ministry, I encourage you to check it out, YouTube. Ten Shackles in a Shirt. But um, in the middle of that preaching, he gives a testimony. What he's talking about in the middle of this testimony is essentially humanism and the error of humanism, that it is basically God exists for the happiness of man, right? That the end all be all of God's existence is for our happiness. And uh, he's talking against humanism. In the middle of it, he gives a testimony that he had gone into Africa. And the reason that he wanted to go to Africa by his own words was to improve on the justice of God said that he had seen pictures, he had seen videos of people in Africa and they lived such a miserable existence and he didn't think it was fair at all for people uh, like that to live such a miserable, awful experience and then at the end of it all go to hell. So I just didn't feel like that was, a, that was justice. I didn't feel like that was righteous. I didn't feel like that was an okay thing. So I decided that I would go and help these poor heathens and go into Africa and preach the gospel to them. He said, but when I got there, I discovered something that I didn't think that I was going to see, and I thought the whole thing was a sham. This is what he said. He said, that he, he said when I got to Africa, I discovered that they weren't poor little ignorant heathens running around in the woods waiting for someone to show, show up and tell them how to go to heaven, but they were monsters of iniquity. He said they were living with an immense knowledge of God. They knew who God was because of His creation and because of their conscience. They knew exactly who God was. They knew exactly who He was. They weren't waiting for someone to tell them how, do, how is it that we go to heaven. He said, as a matter of fact, they had just outright rejected God. And they didn't want any business of us. They didn't want to hear a word that we had to say about this God named Jesus who would preach to them and help them get to heaven. And he said, I, I thought it was a sham. I thought it was all, all a hoax. I didn't know what I was doing there at this point. Here I am thinking that I'm doing something for God. I find out that these very people that I've come to help don't want anything to do with my help. They know all about God. They love their sin and that's all they want to live in. He said, I thought it was a sham. I thought it was a hoax. I thought God had done me some great service. And he said, I got into a room and I began to wrestle with God about this very subject. 
And as he began to wrestle, he said God was breaking through the idea of humanism that he had in his mind. And he said this, it was as if though God spoke to me and said, the heathen are lost and they're going to hell, not because they haven't heard the gospel, but because they are sinners who love their sin. I didn't send you out there for them, not for their sake. I didn't send you to Africa for the sake of the heathen. I sent you to Africa for my sake. I love those heathens. I didn't send you there for them. I sent you there for me. Because I love those heathens. And I want to see them saved. I don't want them. It's not about not wanting them to go to hell. I want them. You see, God didn't just come to this earth because He didn't want you to go to hell. He wants you. Alright? He doesn't just want you to, to avoid eternity without Him. He just wants you. He's not so much concerned about the fact that you've got to burn forever. He wants you. I'd imagine that the greatest agony of hell isn't going to be flames or fire or who, might, who else might be there. The agony of hell is going to be living eternally without your Father. You see, the problem that Paris Reed had had, it was the exact same problem that Jesus' disciples had. They misunderstood the saving significance of what Jesus Christ had accomplished at Calvary. And when you misunderstand the saving significance of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary, the only place it leads to is misunderstanding in discipleship. You can't really be the disciple that God has called you to be if you don't understand the great price that He's paid for you on the cross of Calvary. The Gospels, the, the Gospels that we have, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they're really the foundation of all of our theology. Everything that we learn from the, gospel, from, from the letters, everything that we learn from, Peter, from Peter's letters, from Paul's letters, from John's letters, it all has to be found within the Gospels. And we see that each one of the Gospels is painting a unique portrait of the person of Jesus Christ. Mark, however has a unique look at the person of Jesus Christ, painting Him as a servant of the Lord who accomplishes salvation through suffering. Sacrificial love being demonstrated on the cross of Calvary. And it climaxes at Mark 10 and 45 where Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to serve. You can see it right there. He did not come to be served or to minister, but to serve. He came to serve and this is how He'll serve us. By giving His life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve humanity. Jesus came to serve humanity. Can you imagine? John shows us Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they show us Jesus beginning in Israel. But John shows us Jesus beginning in heaven. The Word was, uh, the word was with God and the Word was God. In fact, He paints Him in a picture to where He's Literally in heaven creating everything. And then He comes down to His own creation and they don't accept Him. Guess who He's talking about? He's not talking about the trees. He's not talking about the oceans. He's not talking about the earth. He's talking about His people. You, me. You know that you were crafted in the image of God. Each and every single one of you. You were designed in His hand. 
Each and every one of you, you were designed in the Master's hand. He knew every hair follicle that He put on your head or the lack thereof. <laughs> less and less. You know what happened? One day he's got hair, the next day he doesn't. I was... <laughs> but you were, crea- you were created. You were crafted. It's as if he put you right here on the potter's wheel and began to mold you and shape you, knowing exactly what you'd look like and exactly what you'd be. And he gave you to the earth. And then he showed up to those whom he had handcrafted, those whom he had designed, those whom he had made, and they rejected him. Greatest offense of all is for creation to look up at its creator and say, I don't need you. We see Jesus as being God existing in heaven. And he comes down to earth. God existing in heaven created you. This is Jesus. This is who he is. This is the person that we're talking about. This is Jesus Christ. This is the Savior of the world. The Son of God. The Son of God. And He comes down to humanity. And this is how He serves us? He lays His very life down for us? What a price! What a price! What a price! What love! What manner of love is this? That God would give us His Son. What love! He knows you. He made you. And He came for you because He loves you. But He's not just painting a picture of how Jesus served, but He was also teaching us about how the disciples would follow in that ministry. This is what not only Jesus was called to do, but you and I were called to do. Mark uses some very specific, I don't mean to bore, literary features to advance his themes. In other words, unique ways that he'll explain his information to advance what he's talking about. I think, okay, I'm a nerd, sorry. All right, one of the coolest ones for me is that he used what we refer to as the historical present. In other words, he talks about past events as if though they're taking place right now. He does that 161 times compared to 93 in Matthew. And you've got to think about how big Matthew is compared to how small Mark is. That's something specific. It's like he's an on-the-field commentator telling you play-by-play. Grayson does a good job of this with slip and slide kickball. We were talking about that earlier when Sean nailed me. Bad fall for me. Anyway, but he's like he's on the field and he's giving you the play-by-play. He wants you there on the scene watching what's happening, seeing what's taking place. He wants you to put you right in the middle of it. That's one of my favorite because I'm sitting there thinking, okay, so while I'm reading Mark, I need to be excited because I'm on the field with him. I'm following. I'm there. I'm right in the middle of it all. I know what's going on. I'm on the scene when Jesus starts walking on those waters. I'm in the boat when they're crying out to him to wake up. You know, I'm there. I'm on the scene. But another thing that he does, he uses threes. And he does this over and over and over again. He uses patterns of three. He's doing that because he's trying to press home specific themes. Three boat scenes demonstrate the disciples' lack of faith and their lack of spiritual comprehension. He shows this three different times in the book of Mark. Uh, As Jesus is in excruciating agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
Right? He's praying. And what is he praying about? Offering up his life as a ransom for many. Because it wasn't an easy thing that he was about to do. He's getting ready to give his life as a ransom for many. And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane asking the Father, can we do this any other way? Can we? Is it possible? Because if it is, then let this cup pass from me. But there's another place in the middle of Gethsemane that all of us can come to, and I would advise us to get there. In fact, that's what I'm going to ask us to do tonight. I'm going to ask us to move from where we're in a place of agony, not really wanting to give, not really wanting to lay it all down, not really wanting to give it all, even though he was willing. We're hesitant. Not really wanting to give it all, not really wanting to lay it all down. I want you to move from there to a place called Nevertheless. Is there's another location in the middle of the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's a place called Nevertheless. It doesn't matter what the cost is. It doesn't matter what the pain might be. It doesn't matter what suffering might entail. Or maybe even what I think it will be like. I'm coming to that place called Nevertheless. I'm moving from the Garden of Gethsemane into that location called Nevertheless. Not my will, but thine be done. Lord, you have your way. And in contrast, we see him coming to his disciples three times. And they're what? Sleeping. Overwhelmed by what's taking place. He's faithful, but they're unfaithful. This is the picture that we see painted of the disciples. They're willing. What's what Jesus says, isn't it? The flesh is willing, but the spirit is weak. I know, we got, I know you want to do this. But again, they prove to be just not really able to give everything that they need to give. And then again, we see Peter denying Jesus three times. as G- Jesus is faithfully standing before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court, and acknowledging that he is exactly who he says he is. And exactly who they think he claims to be. He's faithfully standing before these religious leaders ready to put him to death and Peter's denying the Lord three times. Again, we see threes. But I think probably for me the most beautiful of all are his three predictions of his death. This is a huge theme that begins to unvelop in the book of Mark. In chapter 8, Jesus predicts his death for the very first time. And what we see in chapter 8 and chapter 9 and in chapter 10 as he predicts his death, the disciples are confused about discipleship, and then Jesus teaches on discipleship. You see, there's, when we're talking about a misunderstanding as to how to properly follow God, it always begins with a misunderstanding concerning his death on the cross of Calvary. If you don't understand what he's accomplished for you on the cross of Calvary, it's very difficult to properly follow him. In that, very first death, in that very first prediction, Jesus announces that he is going to die, that the, the chief priests and the elders are going to take him and they're going to put him to death, but in three days he will rise from the dead. And what does Peter do? Peter rebukes him. Far be it for me, Lord. We're not going to let that happen. And then Jesus has to rebuke him, right? Get thee behind me, Satan. And Peter didn't know what he was doing. Peter was... There's one thing we've got to understand about the disciples during this period of time. 
There were a lot of different thoughts about how the Messiah was going to come to Israel and set them free, but not one of them thought the Messiah would have to come and die. So when Jesus starts making predictions about him dying, they don't really know what to make of that. They don't know how to understand that. So Peter rebukes him. Jesus rebukes him. They can't imagine looking at Jesus and rebuking him, but hey, I'm stupid too. Jesus begins to teach him, and what does he say? He calls all the disciples together and says, if you want to be my disciples, and this is his very first teaching on discipleship, you want to be my disciples, you've got to deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. You've got to deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow after me. But there's a couple other statements, and I didn't give you this one, I apologize, guys, but there's a couple other statements that Jesus makes. He talks about losing your life. He says, those who are going, and this is a direct conversation about how to properly follow Jesus Christ. He says, you're going to have to lose your life. If you lose it, you'll save it. But if you try to save it, you'll lose it. There are some of you in here tonight, you've been reserving yourself. And maybe not all of you. Maybe you are born again. Maybe you have been changed by the power of God. I don't know that. I don't know. But there's a part of you you're holding back. There's a piece of yourself you've been unwilling to give. There's a part of you that you've been unwilling to relinquish and give over to God, but He's asking for it tonight. I'm telling you tonight, He's asking for it. I promise you that when you start giving up those areas of your life, He will bless you. And I think about a story of Mary Beth and myself. We had just got married. And um, I thought that's surely the end of my college career. <laughs> So sure enough, uh, that summer I went and found a job at a tire shop, and I'm working sales at a tire shop, big truck tires, so I'm working inside sales. And um, God's just dealing with me all summer, and I'm terrified because I know he's telling me to go back to the Bible college. And I'm terrified, but I've learned the voice of God. I know who's speaking to me. I'm terrified, and I'm terrified to tell her. But I told her, and I'm glad I told her because God had been dealing with her about that very fact. It wasn't easy, not an easy decision to make. Even though we're both in agreement, it still wasn't easy to follow that command. That means an automatic loss in pay. Big decrease. And now not only that, I've got to go to college in the day and work at night. And I'm a newly married person. This was not going to be an easy task. But right in the middle of that class, we had a night, a night professor who decided that his time at JSBC was up. And I'm in Brother Larson's second presentations class, and he comes up to me, well, asked me to stay after class one day. He said, hey, uh, you know uh, so-and-so's leaving? I really feel like you're the person that we need teaching in the college, in the night classes. See, there was an exchange there. There was a willingness to obey on my part, and God had a reason for it all. And I began my, a process of ministering at, at the ministry that we're at today in Baton Rouge. And it was, it, that, that one door led to another open door, and to another open door, and to another open door. The, the, the reason that I'm saying that is, is that peace that you're holding back. He's got something He wants to give to you. 
the best that He has for you. And you are missing it. He's asking for another piece of you. And this is what He's telling His his disciples. If you really want to follow Me, you got to lose your life in, in what I'm about to do on the cross of Calvary. you got to lose it. you got to completely get lost in it. you got to completely immerse yourself in the middle of it. You've got to give your life to me. Everything. Get lost in this. And then he predicts his death again. And again, we see now Jesus asks them, hey, what were you guys talking about or debating along the way? And they got quiet because they didn't want to tell them what they were debating about because they were debating about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. You know, it's interesting in this scenario and in the next, they're competing for who's going to be the greatest and who's going to receive the greatest things. And Jesus never once tells them not to want greatness. That's a phenomenal thing to me. I'd never seen that before. And I'm like, wait a minute. Why doesn't he tell them not to want greatness? He doesn't tell them not to want greatness. He tells them how greatness is achieved in the kingdom of God. There is greatness. There is exaltation. There is blessing. There is gifting. There are promises. But it doesn't come the way you think it comes. God has things that He wants to do in your life, but you're going to have to give something up. And let me tell you ultimately what that is. It's not a girlfriend. It's not really a boyfriend. It might be. It might be. It's not your job. It might be. You've got to figure that out with the Lord. What it is. What He's asking you to give up. He asked Abraham for a son, didn't He? A promise He had waited decades and decades and decades for. Hey, come and sacrifice your son on the altar. Can you imagine? But He's got something He wants to bless you with. Got something good in store for you. He has something great in store for you, but you're afraid of letting go. You're so afraid of letting go because you think you know how to work your way to greatness. You think if you can start rubbing shoulders with the right person, or if you get into the right school, or if you get the right scholarship, or you get the right job, or you come up with a good idea for a bit, whatever it might be. You think you've got it all figured out and you're working and you're laboring and you know what you're doing and you've got your goals set and you're moving that way and God is saying this is not how greatness is achieved. This is not how greatness is achieved. And as as they are debating about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus looks at them and He says, you want to be great? And He takes a small little child. Now, something we've got to understand about children in the kingdom of God, or I'm going to say that again, in Israel of this day, is they have absolutely no social status. None. They don't have any money. They don't have any power. They really don't have any knowledge because the rabbis would not teach anyone that wasn't 12 years old. And then when you turn 12 years old, you weren't a child anymore. So he's, take, he's taking a small child, and in the Greek it literally means that he embraces the child affectionately, pulls it close to him, draws it near to him. He says, you want to be great? You've got to receive these little children. You want greatness? This is how it will be given. Now, was he saying you've got to, you've got to 
have a children's ministry in order to receive greatness in the kingdom? That's not what he's saying. He's saying you're going to have to embrace those who are lowly, those who are outcast, those who are downtrodden, those who are broken, those who are feeble. You're going to have to embrace those who cannot gain you greatness. Go out into the highways and to the byways and call in the sinners. You've got to embrace these little children. You've got to love people more than you love greatness. You've got to want to see people change, born again and saved more than you want to see greatness. More than you want a big building. More than you want a big congregation. You've got to want people. You've got to love people. That's what He's called us to do. That's what He was doing. That's the ministry that Jesus was demonstrating to His disciples. It was confusing because one of His very first disciples that He calls to be an apostle, He's going to eventually be an apostle, is a tax collector. And in Israel, a tax collector, I, I try to think of the most hated person in America that would, well... I think we all know, hated more than that. They were hated because they were working with the oppressor, Rome. And they weren't just working with the oppressor, they were taking your money. You want to talk about something that will make you mad. So they're taking their money. And yet Jesus embraces Levi, embraces Matthew. And brings him in. And then Jesus, when he's on his way to start his ministry in Galilee, he says, first needs to go through Samaria. Samaria? We don't even travel through Samaria. We'll do anything we can. If we've got to go that way, we'll take an extra route around them to get where we got to go because we hate the Samaritans. But Jesus embraced a Samaritan woman. Then there's a Syrophoenician woman who comes to him and is, has a demon-possessed daughter and comes and sits down at his feet. And Jesus didn't make it easy on her. He said, it's not meat for me to give food to the dogs. She said, that's true, Master. But even the dogs get to lap up the crumbs that fall from the Master's table. And he healed that daughter. He embraced a Syrophoenician woman. Some of you who are young, you're in high school. And then some of you who are older. God is calling you to embrace those that right now you do not want to embrace. Because they mean more than your popularity. He's calling us to embrace the weakest and the most feeble among us. Because if you want to be great, this is where it begins. You've got to be willing to embrace the weakest and the feeble among us. If you receive one such child in my name, you receive me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him that sent me. This is your reward. <laughs> you get divine fellowship with the Father. You know, I, Joseph and I has made a statement, and I felt it so strong last weekend as I was ministering. But as I was ministering, the Spirit of God was just moving all over this little congregation, small little church that it could fit right here. 
in Ohio and the Spirit of God was just moving and I began to feel it in my spirit. This is my meat. This is the fat of the land. This is the fruit of the land. This is the abundance of the land. As the Spirit of God moves and people are being touched and changed and transformed, it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how much money they have. It doesn't matter where they came, come from. It doesn't matter if they're white, black, purple polka dot. It doesn't matter to me. What, all that matters is the Spirit of God is touching their life. That's the meat. That's greatness. That's wonder. That's splendor. That's glorious. He's calling us to give. To give. To give our lives to this Gospel. To give our lives to this Gospel. His third passion prediction. Jesus again predicts His death in Mark chapter 10. And now John and James are coming to Jesus and saying, hey, can we sit at your right hand and your left hand? <laughs> we, want to be, we want to have the most powerful positions under you in the kingdom. That's what they're asking for, ultimately. Can we have the most powerful positions in your kingdom? And instead of telling them no, <laughs> he again begins to teach them on how that could be possible. But he is clear to tell them that it's not for me to give. But he begins to talk to them and he asks them, can you be baptized with my baptism? Can you drink of the cup that I'm about to drink of? And ultimately what he was talking about, the, bapti the baptism that I'll be baptized with, he was talking about his coming death. And the cup that he would drink is the cup of iniquity and the cup of sin and the cup of sickness and the cup of death and the cup of pain and the cup of agony that he was about to drink on the cross of Calvary. That's the cup that he was asking them if they could drink. And you know what they said? Yeah, we can drink it. And he didn't deny that they could. He said, actually, surely you will. Listen, you want to be great in the kingdom of God, there's one thing you've got to understand. That's the message of Jesus Christ and what He accomplished at Calvary. Because that is ultimately what He's telling them. You're going to have to follow Me in this denial of self kind of life. And you're going to have to take up your cross. Take up the finished work. Can you experience My, bapti my baptism? Don't you know that as many of you who are baptized into Jesus Christ, you were baptized into His death? Each and every one of you that's been born again, the moment that you got saved, you were baptized into Jesus Christ according to Romans chapter 6. That's a reality. That's a fact. That happened. And you know what took place that day? You were set free from the power of the sin nature. There's not a single born again believer who's not experienced what it feels like to be free from the power of the sin nature. You're free from sin. You've been given this freedom. You've been, we were singing about it. There's freedom where the Lord is. There's genuinely freedom that we get to experience. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the powers of darkness. Freedom from the pull of this world. Freedom from its overtaking us and dominating us and controlling us. There is freedom. But freedom for what? This is the question we've got to answer. Freedom for what? There is a world that is right outside of these walls and they are desperate for an answer. You, I want you to think about your own pain. I want you to think about your own heartache. Those nights that you have cried yourself to sleep. 
Those nights that you have wept on your pillow as you didn't know what to do, as you didn't understand what was happening, and you didn't know what was going to take place next. That pain that I know each one of us have felt. I was that kid in college. I was miserable with my life. You put on a facade, man. You know how to play it. You know how to act. You know how to look like you're having a good time. There does come a time where that agony and that depression and that anxiety becomes overwhelming. You can't fix it anymore. And you mix alcohol into it. That's what I was doing. Miserable drunk. And I remember those nights crying myself to sleep. Sometimes sitting in the parking lot at the baseball field thinking about driving that car full speed into a tree. This is what sin does. This is what it will do to a life. And I remember the pain. I remember the agony. I remember the fear. I remember the confusion. I remember it all. I'm asking you, do you remember that? Maybe you're there now. If you're there now, Jesus Christ will set you free. He will set you free. But you remember that pain? There are people out there. You walk by them every day. And you've got the answer inside of you. You've got the solution inside of you. And I wonder, you know, are we really sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Are we really listening to Him as, he, as we walk by these people? Are we genuinely concerned about their lives? Do we really care? Or are we just concerned about what we're doing and trying to get from point A to point B? Just seems like that's our lives, isn't it? We've got our own plans, we've got our own our own way of thinking about things, and we're just moving from point A to point B, blowing past the world. And there's a whole world sitting in that very place you and I, we just talked about where we ourselves have sat at times. We've been set free. We've been set free. We've been set free. And thank God we've been set free. That's good for us. But it's also good for the world. Because we've been set free not to sit alone and to group up with a certain group of people and just it's us four and no more. It's time for us to go into the world. You see, if you truly understand what's been accomplished on the cross of Calvary in your life, you can't shut up about it. You cannot be quiet about it. You can't keep it to yourself because you've been set free. Man, you've been set free. Have you felt that freedom? Have you felt that liberty? Have you been born again? Have you become a new creation in Christ Jesus? Have all the old things passed away? Has everything become new? Have you been born again? Have you been set free? Have you known what it's like to walk in that freedom that Jesus has made available for you? That He accomplished for you? That He's given to you as a gift? Have you felt that tonight? Sit down in a... I didn't plan to talk about this, but sat down in our common area of our dorm rooms, had a case of beer with me. And I was going to do what I had done every night. And as I sat down, pulled my phone out of my pocket just about a couple weeks ago, months ago, something like that, my, 
mom had sent me a text message. She said, you need to read Proverbs 20 and 1 and you've got to quit drinking. And I thought in my mind, surely if God doesn't like people to drink, I don't want to know because I'm definitely going out to drink tonight. So I'm not reading that. Forget it. So I didn't. I didn't want to feel bad. That was the truth. That's just the truth. I sit down a couple months later and I put that case of beer down. I pull my phone out of my pocket. My phone at that time had a passcode you had to enter to get onto it. That was unlocked on its own. The Bible application on the phone was opened up on its own. And there sat Proverbs 20 and 1 staring me in the face. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Verse 2 will cut you to the heart though. For the fear of the king is as a roaring of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger sins against his own soul. And here I am. Drinking makes the king angry. And it's a sin. And sure enough, I just keep going on about my life. But now when I'm drinking, I'm thinking about somebody else. I can't quit thinking about him. I can't quit talking about him. That someone was Jesus. I couldn't get him off of my mind. And I'm sitting up in a volleyball suite with a couple of friends and my friend's girlfriend sitting across from me and I start talking about Jesus. And she says, well, I'm Catholic and we were raised like this. And da, 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 da. And I said, you know what? And I don't know where this came from. It had to have been the Holy Spirit. There's one mediator between God and man. And his name is Jesus Christ. No sinful man can absolve me of my sins. She took off running out of that room crying. And I'm sitting there with a beer in my hand. And the Holy Spirit spoke some simple words to me. He said, what are you doing here? I got up. I walked out. I, I can still see that walk. I can still see it going out of that dorm room. And it was very dark on that back side of the property. And I walked down the stairs, down into our dorm rooms. I climbed into bed and I said, I'm going to that little church in the morning. I woke up and everything was fighting me on doing that. Man, they're going to smell me. I don't want to go. They're going to know what I've been doing all night. I am not interested. And I just couldn't fight it anymore. And I, I went and got in the car, drove to that church. And I don't know what the pastor preached. I don't know what the singer sang. But I do remember my knuckles as white as they could possibly be on the back of that little there were chairs like this on the back of that little chair. And I said, God, if you'll deliver me from alcohol and tobacco, I promise to serve you for the rest of my life. With tears streaming down my face, I'm sweating, I'm snotting. <laughs> and I said, Lord, if you'll deliver me from alcohol and tobacco, I promise to serve you for the rest of my life. And right there in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, I knew something had happened. I couldn't explain it to you. I couldn't talk to you about it like I can talk to you about it today. But I knew something had happened. I knew I wasn't the same. I walked out and got my mom on the phone and I said, Something happened! I'm not the same! I've been changed. You know, when I walked out, it was like I was seeing everything for the first time. Everything looked brand new. I used to get really upset at the squirrels because I was always hungover. And they were very annoying. But now it sounded like a beautiful melody. You see, everything was new. I was a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away. All things have become new. 
And all I wanted from that moment until today, I just want Him. I've got to have Him. I need Him in my life. He's everything I've ever needed. He's everything I've ever wanted. I didn't know it. I couldn't tell you that all the time. But He genuinely was. And He has proved to be. Have you felt that? Have you experienced that renewal of life? Where everything becomes new. Man, I just wish everybody in the world could feel what I felt that day. And as we sit in the presence of God, I think about it. All these wonderful things that we've been given. All these glorious things that we've been given. Can you, you have been baptized of His baptism. You have drank from His cup. And that cup that you got to drink of, it wasn't so much of the suffering and the pain and the agony, even though at times it feels that way. But the, the cup that you and I drink of today, it's a cup of blessing that's running over. It's a cup of promises of God. It's a cup of justification. You are right with God. Your sins have been forgiven as far as the east is from the west. That's the cup you drink from today. You've been set free from sin's dominion over your life. That king has been replaced by a new king. You live in a new kingdom. That's the cup that you've drank of today. You've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's the cup that you've drank of. Because He drank that cup of agony. The cup of the promises and the blessings of God. The cup of every need being met. Do you know who He is tonight? He's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God, your provider. A cup of riches. A cup of blessings. A cup of power. A cup of promises. A cup of glory. You've drank from the cup. And if you want to follow after me, you're going to have to follow as I lead. In sacrificial service. Giving your life to me. You know, as I think about this, present your bodies. That's the text that we've read from. And what I've simply done by traveling through Mark is show you that Jesus taught the very principle that, that Paul is teaching us right now. In fact, in context of where we read from Romans chapter 12, he's going to start talking about the gifts of the Spirit. That every single one of you have been given a gift that is for the edifying of the body of Christ. Every single one of you. And you've been called into service. He even teaches you in uh, verse 3, I believe it is, or verse 2, is to not be too highly minded of yourself. Right? Just as he was calming down disciples, Paul calms us down. It tells us to minister as we've been given grace. And I think about this presenting my body. I think about Jesus. That's what he did on the cross of Calvary. He gave his body. Any type of aspiration he might have had as a child or whatever, it doesn't matter. His, his desire was to do the will of his Father who had sent him. And he, in doing so, he offered his body to that cause. 
His whole life. Everything about him. Everything. Paul is another man who did the same. And if you look in 2 Corinthians, you see a list of suffering and try. In fact, even when he gets saved, he tells Ananias to go lay his hands on him, that he's going to be healed, and tell him the things that he's going to suffer for my name. And you see a list of the things that Paul had to go through in giving his body to the cause of Jesus Christ. But Paul was a man who had done that. He had given his body to the work of God. Given his body to God. Given his whole life. Everything about him to the cause of Jesus Christ. And then I think about Jimmy Swaggart. And you have to forgive me, but I mean, he's the closest. He's, I'm, I'm not close to him, but I do get to sit with him a couple of days a week and listen to him go through the Word of God. I've never seen someone so single-minded in my life. Completely given over to the Gospel. He eats, he sleeps, he drinks, he dreams the Gospel. His life is given to that. Completely handed over to it. There's no other aspirations that he is working towards. He is simply offering up his life for the Gospel. Giving his life for it. Laying his life before the Lord. And that's what he's asking me and you to do. As I sit and I look at Paul, and as I sit and I look at men like Brother Swagger and Lauren Larson and the guys that I'm around, and I see men who have dedicated it all to the Gospel of Jesus Christ, it challenges me every day. You know, just when I think I've given him everything, he puts his finger on something else. He says, wait a minute, you're, you're pursuing this. You're running after this. He wants your whole life. You say, well, maybe that's good for Jesus, and that was good for the twelve, and maybe that was good for Paul, maybe that's good for Brother Swagger, maybe that's good for you, but I'm not called to be you. No, you're not, but you're still called with what is, what is reasonable, with what is within reason. What's, what is actually the right thing to do? is to present your body to give your whole life. Not just a piece of you. Not just a part of you. Not just Sunday. Not just Wednesday. And not on Monday. But every part of you. Every bit of your life, give it to Him. Everything about you, give it to Him. Your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations, whatever you want to be, please give it to Him. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. This is worship. This is worship. This is worship. This is truly worship. This is truly worship. Just lifting hands and singing songs is great, but you really want to worship God? Give Him your life. Singers and musicians, you can make your way back. October 8, 1732. A Dutch ship left the Copenhagen Harbor bound for the Danish West Indies. On board were two young Moravian missionaries. They were in their 20s. 
John Leonard Dober a potter? He was a potter. And David Nixman, I believe it is, he was a carpenter. And on this island that they were sailing to, there's a man who owned this island, the West Indies. And he was a devout atheist. And he had purchased two to three, 3,000 slaves. And he had made this island a work camp. And what he desired was that these slaves would live on this island, would die on this island, and never hear the name Jesus Christ. Never hear it. Never experience what you and I have been talking about tonight. That freedom, that baptism, that cup. What Jesus has done for us. He made this statement. He said, no preacher, no clergyman will stay on this island. If he's shipwrecked, we'll keep him in a separate house until he has to leave. But he's never going to talk to any of us about God. I'm through with all that nonsense. The statement that he made. And these two young Moravians made the decision to sell themselves into slavery. This is a lifetime deal. They made the decision and the man accepted. They had, he had no idea that they were Christians, but he made the choice to accept that offer. They gave him the price for a slave and they sold their lives into slavery so that they could take the gospel of Jesus Christ into those slave camps. And as the ship slipped away, they, left, they lifted a cry. As they're sailing away, their family members are on the docks and they're crying and they're mourning knowing they'll never see these young missionaries again. They're never going to see their family again. They're never going to see their brother. They're never going to see their uncle. They're never going to see their, uh, their son or their grandson. Never going to see him again. And they're crying and they're mourning this loss and the Moravian missionaries are there and they're mourning as well, but they're also rejoicing because they know what God is doing. And as that slip is, is vanishing off into the, in, into the sea, one of the young Moravians wrapped his arm around the other and he shouted this back to the harbor. May the Lamb of God receive the reward of His suffering. I'm going to say that again. May the Lamb of God receive the rewards of His suffering. Jesus paid a great price for you and I. A great price. And what He's asking for you tonight is you to come and lay your life down at His altar. That's the reasonable worship that we've been called to. Stand to your feet all over this place. And for a few moments, I'm going to have them sing a song. And I want us to just enter into worship. And I want us to genuinely make the decision in our hearts today. You know of areas that you've been holding back from God. Things you've been reserving for yourself. And I've been watching what God is doing in this church, man. God moves here at Lakeside. God has poured His Spirit out in this church. But I'm here to tell you there is more tonight. There's more tonight. And what He's asking us for tonight is more of us. That we'd be willing to lay it down. To lose our lives that we might find it. To lose our lives that we might save it. And embrace those children along the way. 
and become a servant to those who are in our midst. You want to be great? You want to be wonderful? You want to be something in this life? Give it to Jesus. Lay it all down at His feet. Go ahead. Just lift your hands all over this place and begin to worship Him tonight. He's worthy of it tonight. this place. Just lift your hands and worship Him. He's worthy of it all. Hallelujah. He paid a great price. He's paid a great price for us tonight. it tonight. He's paid a great price for your life. A great price. And He's worthy of it all. And you deserve the glory.
Christ, your Lord and your Savior, I want you to have an opportunity to do that tonight. If you've never experienced that freedom and that liberty that we talked about tonight, I want you to have an opportunity to do so. Today is the day of salvation. And I want everyone in this room to hear this. Jesus loves you. He loves you with all of his heart. He loves you, and He demonstrated that love for you on the cross of Calvary. He loves you tonight. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. And maybe some of you, you've been wandering away from God. It doesn't matter how far you've wandered. He still loves you today. He still cares about you today. He's still here to speak to you today. In fact, He never left you. He loves you. And I don't care what you've done. I don't care how bad you've messed it up. I don't care the sin that you've committed. He defeated it all on the cross of Calvary. So I want every head bowed, every eye closed. If there's anyone in this room who needs to make something right with God, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to ask you, slip up a hand tonight. You need to return in your heart to the Lord or you need to come to Him for the very first time. I'm not going to ask you to come down here. I'm just asking you to take a simple step of faith and admit, I need to get things right with God tonight. Don't put it off. Don't push it away. That drawing of the Holy Spirit, I pushed it away for years. Don't push it away. I'm going to pray with you tonight. I'm going to ask everybody in this room. Maybe you're too embarrassed. I don't care. I'm going to ask everyone in this room to pray a simple prayer of faith with me tonight. And those of you, if you're watching us on Facebook, you say this prayer in your heart and you believe every word of it. Saying a simple prayer cannot save you. But believing these words, that's what will save you. And I'm going to ask everyone in this room to repeat it with me, even those with a microphone, to repeat it with me to give you courage tonight. But we're going to ask the Lord to forgive you. 
and to cleanse you and to, to give you that freedom that we've been talking about. You give your life to him for the very first time. And maybe you got to give it back tonight. Whichever one it is, just do it tonight. In the name of Jesus. So say this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you tonight. In the name of Jesus. I am sorry for my sins. The way that I have lived. The things that I have done. Please forgive me. And cleanse me from all unrighteousness. In my heart, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And in my heart, I believe that He died on the cross of Calvary. And three days later, He, he was raised from the dead. And He is alive today. And as... And based on my confession of faith tonight, I believe I'm saved. I believe I'm born again. I believe I'm washed. I believe I'm sanctified. I believe I'm cleansed. I believe I am saved. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer, the Holy Spirit just came into your heart. And He changed you and He made you a brand new creation. If you need to talk to somebody, reach out to them on Facebook. Talk to uh, the church or to one of the pastors and they'll be happy to talk with you. And we want to welcome you into the family of God tonight. I want us to take a few more moments here tonight and just worship the King of Kings. Because truly He is worthy of it all. He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of our lives tonight. So what's... Let's go through that one more time if we could.